There's just something uh-huh. about your dream. Like, I don't understand it, but something about Taylor Swift's, like, face appearing on on a package of coveralls felt very cosmically true to me when I read it. And I can't really verbalize why that is, but it seemed very, very right. Taylor Swift workwear. Welcome to the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, episode 34, a select button Gaiden podcast. My god, run 34. Every week, we select three games at random. You get to vote on which one we play on our Twitter feed, at Snexploration. Uh, this time, you picked Wizardry 1 through 3, Story of Lilgamin. Lil Gaiman, my favorite rapper. We'll be discussing it using the four standardized metrics for scoring a video game, which are Gun, Vanity, Investigation, and Revelation. I stole that straight from GamePro. Uh, I am your host, Virtual Clint, and today I am joined by... Automatic Tiger. Modal. You can find me on the proving grounds of the Street Overlord. I'm sure. Greetings, adventurers. I am Talpa. I hail you with greetings. Oh, God. (laughs) The stench of mildew emanates from the wet dungeon walls. Where's the Mountain Dew? Let's not do this. (laughs) I know there's at least three people here who can do the entirety of that from memory. Someone's been using too much Stree Overlord. God, okay. Alright. <laughs> so I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna tell you all what the game is, even though you probably already know. Wizardry one through three, story of Lil Gamin. Lil Gaiman, I don't fucking know. Is a compilation of the first three Wizardry games. Uh but for the Super Nintendo, it was released in Japan only in nineteen ninety nine just late, through the Nintendo Power cart writing service. That was the same way that the Tamagotchi game was released. You brought an empty cart to a store and you got games. Is weird. Uh, I want to meet the person who got both of those games on the same week. (laughs) That would be... (laughs) Yep, that'd be great. Uh, The game is mostly in English, uh, but some menus were in Japanese, so we actually played the uh, AGTP English patch, which translated the rest of it. Um, I don't know what was originally in Japanese and what the patch hit, so there's some odd translations, but we'll get into that. Uh, The first Wizardry game was released more than 37 years ago on the Apple II. It's older than me. Uh, (laughs) It's the, you know, the original first-person dungeon crawler game, pretty much, and it's super, super hard. Um, So what you're doing in Wizardry is assembling a party of uh, up to six members and a bunch of different classes. You venture into the dungeon, and then you watch them get slaughtered one by one, or sometimes all at once, and then you quit. (laughs) The Super Nintendo release is, is pretty different from the original release that was like 20 years prior it's got actual dungeon graphics instead of like the vector style thing it's got music it's got quite a few quality of life improvements which is nice uh and i think but i'm not sure that this may actually be a port of the nes release or the famicom release and uh but i'm not sure i didn't do enough research and i don't care so (laughs) i asked everybody to play an hour uh but how long did you play and about how far did you get 
I played for about an hour and stumbled on to the floor to the second door, and then my entire party got wiped while I was trying to level them up, and I said, screw it, I think I get the gist of this after after that time and move. Uh, I played about three hours, uh, got to the second floor, uh, felt like I was rolling along, things were going well, and uh, catastrophe struck. I played for I maybe about two hours. I was aware that you're supposed to grind in a wizardry on the first floor and not. I stumbled on the stairs very soon because they're very close. It's very easy to find them, or ladder, rather. Uh, I stumbled on them very soon, went, I'm not going to go down there, and I stumbled around, got my party up to about level five, went, well, I'm going to bed now, so I may as well try level two for a change before... I go to sleep. What a sentence, Shrug. And I died. I died. And that was the end of my wizardry experience. I saved scums before I died. <laughs> I can still do. I can go on. I cheated. It's not cheating. It's built into the game, but we'll talk I about cheated. that. Wait, it's... <laughs> This is this is interesting. I'm going to ask a lot of questions here because apparently there's a lot of features that would have made this more enjoyable for me that I either disabled or didn't. It, it, it's it's there's some wild stuff. Um, <laughs> I played for an hour to an hour and a half. I played while uh, Modal was streaming the game. We worked together on building a map of the first floor, which was a lot of fun. We had a, a Google Sheet going on, so that was that was a blast. Uh, that was probably my favorite part of this game. I did venture into the second floor and uh, didn't get murdered. I killed a couple of rogues and then got lost and got scared and ran away. Um, and then I actually popped out of Wizardry 1 and went into Wizardry 3 just to see what it was like. And uh, oh, it's hard, but mostly the same. Uh, yeah, so that's what I did. There, there's a reason for that, which we'll, I can go into later. Yeah. I played for at least one watch. I never <laughs> found the stairs down, but I found the... I'll oh, stop doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, you. You can just erase me from the podcast right now. It's fine. I understand. <laughs> um, I played for about two hours. I never found the stairs down. I did find the elevator down. Uh, that goes all the way down to the fourth floor. Uh, and I never died. I'm, I'm very good at wizardry. I never died. It might be because I had the most important uh, party members in my team. The no rangers allowed uh, adventurers. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Did, uh, did anybody do special things for their party? I just named them after all the people who are on this cast, plus Cassie, who didn't quite make it. <laughs> what were my stats? You were... What were you? I made you a dwarf warrior, which maybe isn't appropriate. <laughs> You're a dwarf fighter, and Shrug was a hobbit thief. And then, uh, oh wait, that's Wizardry 3. I fucked up on Wizardry 3 because I had to make new characters. 
there's a way to transfer characters between them that I didn't really figure You have to beat the game first, which I obviously did not do. <laughs> really, really No, you actually can like... like just copy the characters over or something. Hmm. Weird. Okay. Yeah, I I can go I'll go in, into that in a bit cuz I don't know how the game would be able to know you beat it with the way this game was originally programmed from what I understand about it. I found out about the Hawkwind thing and immediately concluded more on that later apparently. Uh and immediately concluded that I had to uh name my party after various members of Hawkwind. Uh, so, yeah. I don't remember exactly what I did, other than Bob Calvert was a neutral human. I think it was Bob Calvert. No. It wasn't Bob Calvert. Fuck! Anyway, Lemmy, Lemmy was an evil dwarf <laughs> warrior. That's fair. Yeah. I... Because of an ongoing Discord in-joke named all of my party after Retronauts, and I'm not going to elaborate on who was what in case there's, like, one secret Retronauts listener who, what, what, like, one person from Retronauts who listens to our podcast and then has a vendetta against me because I didn't make them a wizard or something. We love you, Retronauts, if you're listening. And if you're not... I have no opinions on Retronauts, so... Nor do nor, I. Nor do I. <laughs> All right, let's get into our first topic, which is, of course, gun. Uh, this game has gun for days, and I wanted to talk about gun first so that we can kind of go over some of the weirder aspects of this game. Uh, but just a kind of a, a quick overview if you've never played a first-person dungeon crawling game. Um, what you're doing really is you're typically you're making six characters and you're giving them statistics uh, and then you're there's race, there's class, and then there's all the statistics that inform what classes you can pick uh you can i can't believe this game reifies the social injustices of the real worlds by making everything about race and class welcome to fantasy like <laughs> um and uh oh this is i don't know if anybody figured this out because i don't know if it's listed anywhere but you can re-roll the bonus for new characters by hitting y and it tends towards below 15 or so but i was able to get a 28 bonus once in wizardry one and in wizardry three i got a 60 bonus twice 60 six zero <laughs> is enough to max out all of the stats and then dump the rest into luck which is amazing wait you should i thought the bonuses were prefigured so all of my characters suck yeah every, i always i always rolled for 18 every every guide you find on this says re-roll over and over again until you get at least 25 bonus points i was way too rushed and lazy to do that so I had a bunch of them that had five. Like the first three characters I made had five, but the last three had between 12 and 20. Yeah, I feel so. like 18 is good. Like, I, I my it's characters just, who had 18 bonuses were ridiculous. I think the third. highest I got was nine. 
<laughs> yeah, they always seem to start low, but you do have to... I, I had to re-roll uh, maybe 25 times to get an 18 or 20, uh, but you just hit the Y button. It just goes bink, 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 bink. I actually rolled past a 28 once on accident because I was going too fast. <laughs> so anyway, you... I didn't know could re-roll from that screen. I thought you just had to keep on. See, if I had... Shit. You just hit Y. I have to restart this game. You yeah. just hit Y. You just hit, you just y. hit y. It's ridiculous. It, there's no Thanks reason not to do it. It's so dumb. Thanks for the tool tips, wizardry. <laughs> So you build your your party of six. You you usually want a couple fighters, a couple ma magic users, whatever. Uh, go down into the dungeon. There's ten levels in the dungeon. You level up. Your death is permanent-ish. You can resurrect, but sometimes it doesn't work. And even it'll turn your party members to ash. Even then, you can resurrect, but sometimes that permanently kills them. Gold is hard to come by. Uh, and yeah, you solve puzzles and you find keys and there's teleporters and there's all sorts of shit. Uh, and yeah, the goal is to get to the 10th level and do something. And I don't know what it would take forever to actually do that. Um, so that's the setup for a gun, but what did we think of the gun in this game? I, I feel really conflicted because I was playing it and it was the origin of almost all of my favorite parts of RPG gameplay. And so many of the beats of it were so perfect. And still I found myself frustrated. Yeah, like, and, and and I guess I didn't technically mention the combat is turn-based, and you meet very large parties of enemies sometimes. I, I met a, a party of nine cursed coins, which was weird. Um, so it's it's very big scale and big stakes as well, even though you're crawling around in a musty-ass dungeon. So, um, so yeah. I will make an attempt to explain what the actual gun of this game is, because I don't think it is anything that is technically within the programming, uh, the actual mechanical appeal of wizardry and of many dungeon crawl crawlers released thereafter is mapping. It is not uh, the act of fighting a bunch of repetitive battles in the dungeon. Those are comparatively a minor part. You're not supposed to really pay too close attention to them or use extreme tactics or anything like that. Uh, what you are doing and how the game is set up and many of its frustrations lie within how you map the game. And I know this port includes uh, an upgraded version of the Duma Pick spell, which uh, normally was only supposed to tell you your coordinates, uh, but in this version it shows you an entire map, which a little bit defeats the point for me. But uh, mapping in wizardry games uh, is really the main thing you are doing. You are drawing on graph paper, ideally, and uh, redrawing when you get uh, things wrong or you find secret doors or uh, you walk into a teleporter trap and now have no orientation for where you were. So you have to start on a new page. And it's these things that form like the core uh, game loop for me. Uh, it's not the leveling up. It's none of those things because honestly, like 
you're going to get lost so often you don't really have to actively grind. It's telling to me that the I know that there are strong thematic differences uh, and mechanical um, hitches, but one of the modern-ish first-person dungeon crawlers that most people probably know about is Etrian Odyssey. Topa, feel free to nitpick anything at any point, whatever. But its gimmick on the original DS was you use your second screen to make a map. That's the whole game. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's still true as far as uh, the last one I played, which was Etrian Odyssey 4, and uh, a, a game that I haven't beaten, but I adore. I really did, and you're right, Tulpa, that, it, that is kind of the crux of things, because I, I enjoyed making the map with Modal. Um, that was a lot of fun. I, I actually think that there's... There's maybe a concept there of like having a very large dungeon crawler, but you you know you maybe get like five or six people together to sort of share mapping duties uh, from different portions of the dungeon. That could be a lot of and, fun. And maybe each person together uh, is working on uh, playing their own character, and there's an another person who makes the dungeons for. I think there's some real like uh, meat in this <laughs> idea. I agree. I like this a lot. This is going in a good direction here. Yeah, I think you could have, like, you could probably have a lot of dungeons. And maybe, like, I don't know, what's a good monster? Yetis. Dungeons and yetis. Yeti. That's what we'll call it. You know, the the mechanics of this are pretty simple. I think you could probably just do this with a pad and paper with a pad, paper, and some dice, too. Like, you might not even need a computer. Dungeons and Yetis, TM, TM, TM. We invented it. You can't steal it. <laughs> Fuck. Um, look, no, I, I meant, actually, it would be interesting if, like, five people were playing the same... What, I, what me and Modal did. Five people are playing the same game, but separately, like, completely separately, and just working on building a map together. That would be fun, but you're right. It's done. I'm just talking about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't making fun of you. I was just riffing. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I did. I, all right, whatever. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that actually reminds me a lot of, uh, well, well, uh, of two anecdotes. I was literally talking to my dad yesterday who was talking about how his friends would, how he had a friend who had other friends who would just crowd around a computer pl all working on King's Quest together. And it was also making me think of back in, like, the best way to play Demon Souls ever is to have nobody who knows anything about it, and just everybody has a copy, and you all talk about it, which is how I played Demon Souls in college, which is the best way to play a Souls game. Yeah, I think that, there, yeah, there's basically we just need to make a book club where we sit down and play all at the same time. <laughs> Wait, is that what we're, shit. Uh <laughs> That is literally what we're doing. <laughs> okay, so select button compound. Yes. No internet. No, uh, no internet. Central yurt where everyone gets together at the end of every day and talks about their mapping experiences. Uh, can we? This is not a cult. Can we? Can we play wizardry in VR? Oh my god! That oh would be so my good. god! I don't think it would be the same if you had granular movements. Because there's something about being forced to 
turn oh, no, no, I mean, like, still grid-based movement. I don't like vomiting. <laughs> with the, actually, with the way VR works, having yeah, node-based would... movement is better for motion sickness. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, that uh, it would not affect us, like, motion sickness-wise as much if we are just, like, popping from tile to tile. It is extraordinarily disorienting. I in in the one VR game I've played that does that, but you get used to it. But this game is meant to be disorienting. Like I do, th- like okay, I want to discuss something on the first floor. The first floor, um, there is an area where you <clears throat> you walk down a hallway, you hit a, a a secret door, which just looks like a wall. There's literally no way to tell what. It is. It teleports you all the way around the map. So basically you wrap from right to left. You go forward a few steps and then it teleports you to a totally different section of the map. And if you enter a certain door, you go into the dark zone, which has you can't light it up. So now you're mapping completely blind and face first walking into walls. I like it's just completely meant to be disorienting and screw up your map making and like that, it makes sense that you would have a spell that just tells you the coordinates because that's extremely useful when you've just teleported and you don't know what the fuck is going on. Which, when by you... the way, I still don't have that spell. I am you... playing as we record. You gotta have a when priest. You... When you walk into a door, you have to hit like a you have to hit the kick button in order to open a door, which is, you know, sig. Just naming it Kick suggests a great image of these assholes barging around through this dungeon, slamming their foot into every door. But if you hit walk into a wall or you walk into a door instead of kicking it, you have a little bit of screen shake and it goes like ouch or something. So Yeah, that's fun. the most common message you get in this game is ouch. Ouch with two exclamation ouch. points. <laughs> My favorite prompt in this game, and this is vanity or research, but or revelate, whatever, fucking, um, is when, oh, fuck, what is it? There's a spot where it says, oh, yeah, every time you fight, right before you confirm everything that you want to do, it says, are you okay? <laughs> Which is great. You can say fight or cancel, is it? Yeah, fight or cancel. Are you okay? Fight or cancel. <laughs> uh... Probably important to mention the front and back rows. Your party order matters. Uh, the first three people in party order are in the front row of battle and can be targeted for melee. And the back three are relatively safe until you run into things that can shoot projectiles or or monsters that can like spew, I don't know, vomit all over them. Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. Uh, so, party order matters. The thief I read, I had a thief in my back row. Thieves are seem to be kind of useless, except for opening chests that monsters drop, because uh, they can check them for traps and possibly disarm traps. Traps are extremely dead- deadly, especially at low levels. Especially poison traps. They're the worst. Potions are very expensive. This game is terrible, and I hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> well, potions are expensive, but priests are cheap and have uh, good healing spells, and you can just make them sleep in the stables until uh, they heal everyone. You can just oh. put in your priest. 
Yeah, that was I. I abused sleeping the priest at the stables all the time, going into the maze, using the uh, Dio spell on everyone, then rinse and repeat until everyone's healed up. Oh, is that how that works? This whole yes. cast is making me want to go back to wizardry after we're over because all these strategies are sound really cool. That way, you don't make your dudes or dudesses sleep for an eternity in the whatever things that aren't the stables, thus uh, driving them into old age and death. Also, as they get <laughs> also as they get older, they're more likely to lose stats when they level up. Wait, um, I was wait. say I was going to say before I forget, and we move on. Uh, the thief from the back row can use a hide command, and if they successfully hide and are not discovered, they can then do a backstab, or I believe it says ambush, and attack from the darkness, which apparently, according to people on the internet, was not originally in the first three Wizardry games. It was an addition from Wizardry 2, Wizardry 4. So that's nice. Thanks, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, the thief I found very useful. I feel like backstabs actually do additional damage as well, and then when they're hiding, they don't seem to get attacked. This game has so many weird little mechanics. So age, yes. When you sleep, you age. But this is weird because you individually rest. So let's say you've got 20 hit points and you're down to one. If you rest in the cheapest room, you'll sleep there for 19 weeks, but you could age like two or three years during that, but the rest of your party doesn't age because you do it individually. It's it's wild, and you can die of old age, too. Does anyone remember that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where uh, uh, time broke apart and uh, time flowed at different rates in different uh, places? Uh, that's kind of how the in works in Wizardry. It's it or it's like that episode of Star Trek Voyager where there was an entire planet that ran at a different speed, so the outside universe was very very slow, and everything on the planet was fast. Hey, <laughs> hey don't, or don't it's spoil like, the plot of No Rangers Allowed. Or it's <laughs> like that ship in Earth of the New Sun, where because of relativistics, travel somehow different parts of the ship. Uh, exist in different time frames and I didn't get to that or point it's like that episode of Doctor Who oh god okay <laughs> so yeah time is a weird thing thieves are a weird thing um, what other uh, I'd like to, to figure out what's the most bizarre mechanics that are in this game other than age I feel like age is the weirdest um, oh the, my favorite thing though is when you try to resurrect somebody I feel like there's a maybe 25% chance that they get incinerated they get turned to ash which is amazing <laughs> and then if you uh, try to resurrect them from ash I believe they can be permanently destroyed as well I also love that the temple charges you more to resurrect from ash it's like you're the one who fucked this up I should, I should be getting a refund so uh, accurate tech support <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's about right. Have you tried reformatting everything? Oh, you're gonna have to send it in for repairs. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's oh uh, yeah, one. you bricked your priest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked the elevator because I went to the second floor with the elevator, and then it was just like five rooms, and then there was nothing else. It wasn't connected to anything else. 
Uh, you've got. I was too scared to use the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. Th- I I lost. I almost lost a character down there. So there were some pretty gnarly enemies in there. <laughs> That's the principal gun I have for this game. Is just I was afraid the entire time. <laughs> I was always afraid. Um, Which is so. perfect. Yeah. No. It's a it's a terrifying game. Like I do feel like uh, for dungeon crawlers, you got to have that fear, and this game somehow manages to give that to you all the time like i went to the second floor and i thought you know i was like level three but i had bought a bunch of really good armor i think my characters had started with a bunch of money or something and uh i was like oh i can i can manage this so i killed a rogue i killed four rogues no problem didn't take any damage then i met some rats and i was like oh cool i can murder rats and then two of my characters died because they poisoned them. And I just was like, what the hell? The, the, the worst things can happen at the least expected times. Oh, actually, I do have a weird mechanic I love in this. And it's an aesthetic mechanic more than anything. When you encounter enemies in this game, you don't see what they are exactly. You have a general idea. Like, you see, like four small humanoids or whatever and it's only after you've been in battle for a while that you can identify them yeah that's an interesting one too there's a spell as well that lights up the dungeon that i think helps identify them too but yeah it's that's a weird thing you don't know what you're fighting until you fought it a few times sometimes if you're if you're quick enough to kill them you, you don't even know what they are i was wondering if knowing what they are didn't improve your chances to hit them though it's possible. Or, because it seemed like the more I fought cobbleds, the, like, even before I leveled up, the easier I was killing them and the more likely they, they were to run away. Because you don't, you have to leave, you have to leave and take a nap in order to level up. You just accumulate experience. You got to dwell on things for a while, you know, let things set, have some dreams, I guess. Play a, play a little guitar. <laughs> mull over your experiences with your friends except they're not sleeping at the same time as you you take shifts everyone's on watch except you um <laughs> and time is passing at a different rate for you <laughs> uh yeah no, i i think it even maybe extends further because in wizardry 3 i found some quote small objects there were nine of them then they ended up being creeping coins so like evil coins but there was a question mark after the name which i fully do not understand like creeping coins like was it actually a different enemy and i misidentified it a creeping coin maybe i don't know this game is surprisingly anti-capitalist for a dungeon crawler (laughs) i guess (laughs) oh the shop in this is is wild too like you it'll be like Longsword, 30. This big, cool mace, 150. Blade of Bleeding, 6,000. There's nothing in between. And as I understand it, the ultimate sword you can get in Wizardry 1 is the Cuisine Art. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just called the Cuisine Art. (coughs) Oh, God. I laughed so hard at that. I'm dying. Apparently, I was a samurai in Wizardly, Wizardry 3. I feel so owned right now. Oh, yeah. that I did that on purpose. I got 
I got a 60 bonus for you. Uh, you're a hobbit. And so I just started dumping stats, dumping it <laughs> into all your stats. And I ended up be having the option for samurai. And so I picked that because I knew it'd piss you off. I see from this screenshot that everyone listening to the podcast can see that I was a gnome priest. <laughs> In Wizardry 3, you were a gnome priest. Gnomes start with a lot of piety, so... <laughs> This is what we learn from wizardry is human beings are not particularly pious. Dwarves, kind of dumb. Uh, very strong, though. Yeah, very strong. So that's appropriate for Tulpa. I made Honey, I made honey do a dwarf bishop. That works. That's I'm beautiful. Saying, I, I really stuck close to the D&D Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, you're explaining the racial phrenology characteristics of uh, all of the different... Oh, God. The other one I remember is that that uh, both gnomes and hobbits are, of course, uh, extremely dexterous. Yes, hobbits, they're very sneaky. However, hobbits are much, much luckier than gnomes. Gnomes get the short end of the stick. In many respects, gnomes are the weirdly the most well-rounded characters. Though they've got ten piety. No wait, no wait. I'm reading this chart wrong. Never mind. Ten piety, eight vitality, and ten agility, which isn't bad. Humans are the well-rounded ones with eight and four stats and nine in luck, but five piety because we're fucking assholes. <laughs> but yeah, this uh, this yeah, good old good old phrenology. Um. Let's see. God, there was something else I was going to say, but I don't remember it. I have to say that at least once a cast, so there we go. That's <laughs> There's that. What else do we have for gun? Uh, one of the things, I'm not sure if uh, they ever uh, changed it for the, uh, the Super Nintendo, but one of the things about the early Wizardry games in particular is that they didn't have, like, um, they didn't have... Uh, states to the dungeon uh so uh basically the dungeon would reset every time you left the maze would reset as it's called in this game which means that like any uh puzzles you solve any uh anything you do in the game is uh essentially temporary except for any items your characters collect and that's basically the only way uh we get continuity uh in the game was that if the characters have like a key item that's uh used to unlock something then they they can just rush over and unlock that instead of going to get that item again so it's the warp whistle but even more content continuity um okay so that's this game i don't know because i didn't solve any puzzles i don't know if it saves that but it might it very well might save that um in this in this version of it there's a couple of interests oh there's that's a thing i wanted to talk about is save games now i don't know if anybody else fucked with this but um there's an option in one of the menus that i think says turbo save which is weird and it contains the save game for the three different games, which you can look at, you can see exactly what the characters are in there and what their stats are, what their items are. But importantly, 
you can copy that to one of the nine blank slots. So you can save scum. You can officially save scum, which is really interesting to me. I'm assuming that this was because it was originally a computer, a personal computer, PC game, um, that of course you can do that because you can mess with your own files. So they're like, well, we have to include that because we're porting a PC game. But I've never, ever seen anything like that in a console game explicitly and like... uh yeah, officially included in the game. Like, that was weird to me. I think, um, uh, gun-wise, uh, the Super Famicom version adds so many quality-of-life improvements, and it's so snappy. There's no delays on anything like the old uh, personal computer versions. Um, <clears throat> I think that makes a, a really big difference in terms of the accessibility of the game. Yeah, um... I I did not know about these features. I should have apparently d- read a manual or something before I played. And I wish I had because I gave up on it largely because I just thought like, oh, if my party gets wiped, I have to make a whole bunch of new characters and I'm not super opposed to that. It just takes a long ass time to do that. Oh no, oh, you can rescue your characters. You can find their uh uh dead bodies in the dungeon and uh, bring them back to be resurrected. It was like <laughs> A new party because literally the only things that are uh saved in the game are the characters uh nothing in the dungeon is saved except for uh like where the characters are one note about saying that you needed a manual this game actually the super famicom version if you press select it gives you a help dialogue for whatever you're looking at Generally, it will uh you know it will tell you a description of the spell you have highlighted or um, various other things that will give you information about the game. That, I think, is one of the main things that was not translated before. Uh, based on playing the Saturn version, which has similar English options, those are like all the things that are not translated. Like All the additional text, the things that were not present in the original game for personal computers, <coughs> those seem to be the things that were untranslated. Okay, so that's I didn't know that because that would have been really nice with the spells have bizarre names and typically like you would need a manual to understand what they are uh, other than through experimentation. So the idea of hitting the select button, I think this may be the ideal way to play the first 3 wizardry games. Um the, the it looks nice, it is snappy. The fact that it's designed for a controller means that the menus are just really easy to use. Um, you've got all these different options. You've got the manual stuff built in. I, if you're going to play Wizardry, this might be a really, really good way to start. I, yeah, I think I'm actually going to go back and play Wizardry more after the cast is finished, now that I have all these pro tips from uh, you game counselors here. <laughs> the one thing I will say about this game, though, is it seems extremely, like, by modern standards, extremely unbalanced. It's like, floor one, you can be one-shotting everything, and then you get to the second floor and just get wiped. Like, completely wiped. And it's like, that's weird. You know, like, it doesn't feel like there's a specific progression that you should be doing. I think that adds to the fear, and I don't think that's a negative, but it does make it hard to play in the year 2018, you know? I do believe, like, like... Like you say, it's not very balanced. I believe that is an intentional like feature of the design of the game as originally put out. Uh, it was meant to be um, overwhelming in ways. All the extant guides and tips for the game seems to be make lots of characters, 
uh, abuse rerolling to make sure they're extra powerful. Get them to at least level two. Then you'll probably be on easy street for the first floor. Find the room with the ghosts. And punch if you ghost. are punch <laughs> the ghost, go back into the room, punch the ghost over and over again. Grind on this ghost face forever until you're and ready for the second floor. When you finally earn the title of Ghost Face Killer. <laughs> you know, um, uh... I, I would like to point out uh, something about this game, comparing it to the Dungeons and Dragons that would have been played at the time. There's a lot of enhancements and features that this game has that w are much more like later editions of Dungeons and Dragons than would have been the Dungeons and Dragons du jour when it came out. Like the idea of a fighter starting with 12 HP in advanced Dungeons and Dragons in 1981 would just be, I mean, I'm sure Gary Gygax would say that was a horribly overpowered character, but this game makes a lot of little tweaks like that, that were very good tweaks. And I think it's very forward thinking for that reason. And I guess one last kind of major gun note. We all basically played Wizardry 1. Uh, the One of the reasons for that is that Wizardry 2 and Wizardry 3 allow you to import your characters, uh, which means that Wizardry 2 is much harder. Um, and Wizardry 3 actually will level your characters back down to 1. But again, it's much, much harder. But it's also essentially the same game. There's nothing new to be learned from playing Wizardry 3 for 12 minutes than Wizardry 1 for an hour. You're just It's just new dungeons, new enemies, and things like that. There's not new classes. There's not new statistics. There's not anything really except, you know, a couple of additional enemies, uh, weapons, and then a new dungeon. So it, it's sort of an interesting thing, but I, I'm happy that to stick with Wizardry 1 as far as what we've talked about pretty much. So it, It's kind of cool to me the way it's set up because uh, I, you know, heard them just described as sequels before, but the way this game presents them, they call them modules, which is what in uh, Dungeons & Dragons speak is like, a pre-built dungeon and a pre-built thing you can explore and adventure through. And I like the, the, and I like that feel of it being like, Oh yeah. So you've got your adventures and you can take them on different adventures. The Saturn and uh, PlayStation versions refer to it as uh, scenarios. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, that's exactly what it is. You're supposed to take your characters from one scenario to the other, which is interesting. I like that. It just means that the three games don't have any significant differences in mechanics. Actually, like the first three games when they were released, their original releases were titled Wizardry, Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord, Wizardry Scenario Number 2, uh, The Knight of Diamonds, and Wizardry Scenario 3, The Legacy of Lil Gaiman. And in fact, you cannot play Wizardry 3 without having first made characters in Wizardry 1 at the very least. I don't know about 2. I wasn't reading about that one. So, yeah, so that's, there you go. That's probably how the game programming worked, because um, a lot of the limitations, like only saving in town, were just based on uh, how much space they had on disk. Although that's probably more of a investigation thing now, so I'll save more of that for later. So I think I'm happy with our gun section. I'd like to move on to Vanity, but was there any last-minute gun notes that we haven't covered? Uh, I will rant about dungeons if you let me. <laughs> but maybe we can save that for revelation. 
Let's save that for revelation. Um, all right, let's move on to our next topic, which is, of course, vanity. Like it always is. It's always gun and then vanity. Um, so this is a funny one because I did. I, I looked up some videos of the original wizardry, and uh, holy moly, it looks completely different. Like I know that we're work talking about a different system entirely, and literally twenty years, twenty eight or eighteen years between releases. So it makes sense that it looks different. But the original wizardry had the whole dungeon in the upper left corner, basically taking up like maybe a quarter of the screen, and then the rest was menus. So this game is very much about the dungeon is front and center, and the menus sort of live around that, which is sort of an interesting thing. But um You can toggle the the party this takes up the bottom of the screen normally, but you can toggle that off so it's just dungeon. Dungeon only, yeah, which is a big change, I think, for somebody if they had played the Apple II version and then skipped directly to this. It's, it's a very big difference. But uh, what did we think about the vanity of Wizardry 1 through 3, the story of Lilgaman, Lilgaman? So I, I don't have much to say about this, because while I was trying to find the English menus, I apparently set it to a mode that made it look like the original wizardry. What? And I kept thinking how, except for the enemy graphics. So Wait, I kept thinking, what? Yeah, yeah, I don't know how it happened. All of it is just white lines on black for me. <gasps> and, and so I was... switch it back. I'm you sure switch I... switch it back without leaving the game. I didn't know I switched it at the time is the thing. And I did not know till we were talking now that there were dungeon graphics. Do I just you... thought it was like, how daring this game to just use the 1981 graphics on Super Nintendo, but for some reason have these uh, RPG maker ass sprites for the enemies. What a strange and interesting visual statement this game is making. Holy crap. Do you have any screenshots? You were probably playing on your cartridge, huh? I, I was playing on my cartridge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't make screenshots because I was like, well, there's not much to see in this game, so we're not going to need screenshots. <laughs> That's incredible. I had no idea that it even had that option. This game has a weird amount of depth. Um, I guess one thing that we didn't really ever mention is that Wizardry caught on in Japan like wildfire. Um, there are spinoffs that never made it to the US. Uh, the game just really, really, really caught on. Uh, so, you know, it makes sense that this game is japan only but yeah that's that's amazing i would have messed with that for sure so um the dungeon graphics are not really anything to to look at for the most part and then i skipped to wizardry 3 and it looks completely different so i was i was shocked but and and i want to emphasize how much i liked the gameplay even though i've complained about parts of it although it does sound like there were some fixes for that i also wasn't aware of but I was so compelled by the game, I was just like, yeah, sure, this is fine. I think this is a really interesting game, even with just the um, white lines. I love the music. It, it like, was completely unmemorable. I don't remember a single note, but I absolutely loved it. Like, I felt like the vibe that the music and, and the graphics created was really, really excellent and really enhanced the game. 
Yeah, I was watching you stream and like the music is really chill um, for the most part. And it reminds me a bit of, and this is a dumb connection to make, but it reminds me of Dragon Quest Builders specifically because most of the music in that is either town or overworld music. They very rarely use battle music or boss music. And that's what this game feels like. It's, you know, a little bit of dungeon music, a little bit of, uh, you know, town music. There's not like extremely strong uh, you know, battle music that's like trying to kill you with it. So it, it's very chill, and I did appreciate that, even as unmemorable as it was. Wizardry three has different music. It sounds like a fucking game show. That weirded me out. Uh, that is that the oh, that's the wireframe. That is a bizarre effect having like the enemy graphics and then the white lines for walls and nothing else <laughs> that's pretty incredible how do you turn that on i would love to play the game without and white lines because it's actually easier for me to read you turn it's like there's an option where the, you can change something from surface to line and you change it to line oh i did yeah. see that yeah i really um, liked it because it was easy to like read to like there were just lines for the lines to draw on the map basically just from a perspective shot so i found it very easy to map from just the line sorry for interrupting my rabbit had food pellets that she needed and she threw her food dish on the ground because she was so angry <laughs> i love angry hungry animals they're funny although it's also sad um <laughs> i well, also Whenever I encounter a monster, I'm just playing around with this now. It seems like I instantly know what they are every time. Oh, weird. Huh. So maybe... Well, I looked up the Apple II version, and so there's, it's definitely a feature in that that it'll be like four small humanoids. So it's not clear what you're looking at, even in that version. Um, it's weird that it's maybe screwing with that on the map version, on the different map version. Weird. Well, you also, once you have encountered an enemy enough times, you know it immediately, even if you, like in a new encounter. So if you've seen kobolds and you've really identified them, you'll know exactly what they are when you see them the next time. I just started an entirely new game with the diff with the default people. Whoa, weird. That's bizarre. Okay, so yeah, I have no idea. I'm wondering. Nope, I have no. I have nothing to say here. I finally ran into something that's just five small humanoids. Okay, there we go. Okay, it <laughs> cool. took forever though. What does it all mean? I was just running from encounters and running into new encounters. And every everything I ran into was just the monster, just the monster. So weird. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the what 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 else for vanity? It's very dark. The unidentified monsters are very hard to even see what they are. But they do have different sprites, so it's not like they just change the palette on them. Uh, but there are multiple palettes for even the regular enemy sprites because there's uh, a spell that will light up the dungeon so you can see an additional cell forward, but it also helps you identify enemies. And so there's an unlit and a lit palette for all of the enemies, at least the ones I encountered, which I thought was really interesting as well. Do the dungeons not get a lit palette? Because if the dungeons also became more lit up, that would be very interesting. I, I they haven't do. encountered the spell yet. So. 
here I'll I'll post a screenshot. But yeah, the dungeons also get it's much easier to see once you cast that spell. The mages are so OP. The ma- mages are pretty good. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, this definitely comes from that very early D and D era where like fighters could barely do anything and mages could do everything. My favorite bit of weirdness in terms of text in this game is when you go to heal somebody and it gives you a big text box uh after you know you pick up you, you pick oh i want to revive this person and uh it, the monk will go murmur chant pray invoke and then person is cured is very strange and it has that timing too where it's like murmur chant pray invoke it's great that's your new categories for (laughs) (laughs) it's it's interesting to seeing the aesthetics and i know this is the super nintendo game but just a lot of the weird dark mysteriousness of it which i know was in a lot of the the japanese ports of it to consoles at the time really reminds me of stuff like uh just the atmosphere and crypticness of games like as much as you're not supposed to compare this to everything dark souls but i feel like that's very apt here yeah this game is incredibly cryptic and uh intentionally so and it's not it, it is weird playing it on a super nintendo because there's not a lot of cryptic games <laughs> my favorite unknown sprite was in wizardry 3 and it was four large animals is what i encountered and they look like just big roly poly bears they look like bears that could roll like roll like a katamari it's amazing <laughs> That, that, that thing is incredible sprite. That thing is so like menacing and adorable at the same time. It really is. I also encountered a rat, which looks like a little red furry humanoid esque thing, which is creepy as hell. That kind of looks. Why like would a... rats attack me? Well, it turns out it was actually a rabbit rat. What? <laughs> that's what that's what What? That thing murdered me. It did not do me well. Well, I, it murdered me. Well, that's that's got to be like <laughs> there's a lot of jokes in here. That's got to be a Monty Python reference, right? It's it's definitely a Monty Python reference. It's a, it's a killer rabbit with red eyes and otherwise looks normal. I mean regular rabbits frequently have red eyes, as I can tell you from being a person who's owned multiple rabbits. What? And they do have sharp pointy teeth. <laughs> oh, uh, why is yours red, Tulpa? I actually have no idea. So we're looking at okay. So if you if you cast the spell Duma Pick, it gives you a full map of the uh, not a full map, a map of every cell that you've explored. Normally it's blue. When Tulpa posted it, it's red, and I don't know why. Uh, that's weird. Are you using the wireframe graphics? Well, it's blue on my screen. I think actually what's going on is that uh, uh, they get this purplish blue hue from flickering red and blue uh, frame. Oh, that's weird. Okay, that's great. I love that. Uh, Especially for Super Nintendo, because you could just put purple on a Super Nintendo screen. (laughs) Yeah, you could. Maybe they're... Uh, maybe whatever um, palette they chose just didn't have room for purple. There's always room all for purple. Of, all of my screenshots are turning out red. I don't know why. 
This is a mystery. <laughs> it's too bad we eliminated that category, but it is a mystery. That's so strange. Well, let's see. What else? What else do we have for vanity? Honestly, I think because of the fact that Oh, there's a blue one. You got a blue one. So it's definitely flashing between blue and red. I had to take a screenshot uh, with my computer to get the colors to show up properly. That is so strange. Well, weird. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely love the presentation. I think like the menus, just all of the layout, everything about the presentation, vanity, orient aesthetic elements of this game seem extremely well done i would agree i don't have too much to criticize here um it's very very nice it does what it needs to do and it does it well um this is again probably the best way of playing wizardry unless you're looking for absolute authenticity um just it looks good it plays well, good what about the saturn wizardry yeah tell us about the saturn wizardry because you've played that modal um, it's very, very similar. In fact, it came out before, as you noted earlier in the podcast, it actually came out before um, the SNES or Super Famicom version, which was very, very late in 1999. Uh, but the Saturn one, I think, was 97, 98, something around there. And it's very similar. It has po uh, polygonal graphics for the uh, dungeon. So depending on whether you prefer the sprite and, you know, 2D drawings or if you prefer the uh, polygon of the Saturn. It's very creepy. It's very dark. Um, it makes good use of uh, what the Saturn's got visually. Uh, it looks, you know, a little bit distinct from the PlayStation version. Um, but it's very similar to the PlayStation version. And it has all of the same options as the... Uh, the Super Famicom version as, as far as English, but there you don't get the benefit of that extra little bit of translation for all the help te text. So um, if you're familiar with the game, it may be better to go with the PlayStation or Saturn versions. Uh, but if you're not at all familiar with Wizardry, you might want to start with the, uh, the Super Famicom version, in my opinion. I would like to take a note that uh, I would totally buy a poster of the cover art for the PlayStation and Saturn versions because it's just incredible. Google that immediately, listeners. You will be very happy you did. It's very good. Why, why does that lady have a halo? Why do they all have halos? I'm slightly weirded out by the combination of uh, religious, like Byzantine religious iconography conventions, and also sexy dress slits. But sexy dress slits for an armored thigh. <laughs> I, I think maybe those are actually those uh, Byzantine style of semi-robe that was worn by priests. I think maybe this lady is a priest or a bishop. Yeah, it's a this... sexy bishop. Because the lady in the background of this PlayStation art has a sensor in her hand. A sensor? You know, for incense. Of war. <laughs> I know. Of yeah, war. Yeah, a sensor of war. I bet she hits a skeleton with it. This is like 
it looks like the exact midpoint between a golden age fantasy illustration and and anime, but with like lots of details that look like medieval sort of icon imagery, like the golden halos of, around their head. Oh, one thing to note about the uh, Saturn and PlayStation versions is they do have automatic mapping, uh, which the, Famic- the Super Famicom version, you only get it when you cast the spell. Uh, for the Saturn version, there's a button you can press, and it just automatically is always mapping, and you can check it if you like. Interesting. That's, that's, that's actually kind of disappointing, because I genuinely think the core of the game is mapping yourself. Like, the teleport traps lose any value if uh, you can just, like, uh, get a map of where you are after you get teleported. You don't get lost that way. And the, like, experiential appeal of the game for me uh, stems from getting lost and struggling to find your way back and suddenly being somewhere you kind of recognize and navigating back to a town and like barely surviving like that that is i think the implied like desirable narrative of a wizardry and uh if if you just have an automatic map what's the point it's about reaching the limits of your resources you're going on an expedition. And, Not. like, I, I get that, but, like, other JRPGs do do that better late... Well, I guess this isn't a JRPG, but other RPGs, especially JRPGs, do that a lot better because then they make the, like, risk-reward part of the combat much more central. I'm reading a solo guide for Wizardry, <laughs> Wizardry 1 <laughs> to play it with just one character. You can do that. You can do that. Um, okay, so I, uh, what else do we have for vanity on this game? Also, I like making maps. I really didn't realize I was going to like making maps, and I, I was super into it. I want to get some grid paper. I want to just, like, make maps all day. But yeah, what else for vanity? What do we got? What do we got? Nothing, I think. Um, I mean, as far as vanity goes, I do think that, like, a lot of uh, the aesthetics uh, of, like, the game as it was ported to the Super Nintendo really uh, contributes to, like, the atmosphere and experience, whereas the original, like, Apple II release of this game, uh, you hardly can see the dungeon. You you have, like, a very small, like... uh, corner of the screen dedicated to the dungeon and the rest of it is menus which uh i feel makes the games uh a lot drier than they are here on the super nintendo yeah i the uh, videos of it it shows i'm like i get why you would play this in 1981 or whatever um i don't think it's something that is worth playing in 2018 except for uh historical curiosity essentially it, since you've got better versions of it so yeah as far as vanity wise this is definitely the pinnacle of the of the the ports of this game as far as i'm concerned and um you know gun wise you can even turn off the map if you wanted to get that authentic feel from it and everything else is pretty much the same so uh yeah so okay okay cool um i think then unless anybody has last minute notes i'm happy to move on to our next topic which is oh wait what's that 
It's the salary man corner. Corner. Except we didn't pick a game, and I didn't pick a game at all, and I forgot to <laughs> forgot to do that. So there's no salary man corner. So instead, <laughs> instead, I'm turning this into Clint's dream diary. Surprise! Um, sorry. Uh, I'm losing my mind here. Hold on. I would like to make a quick note that once I found out you hadn't picked one, I tried to find out if there was ever a wizardry-based, like, pachinko game, board game, or, um, like, mahjong game that had been released as a spinoff for any game console, and... I cannot believe that as far as I can tell, there's never been Wizardry Pachinko as a physical machine or a game or anything. It seems that Wizardry has remained stubbornly first-person dungeon crawlers. I think that's it. Which is rare. There was an MMORPG. Was there? Really? Yeah, uh, it was a Japanese MMO. It's not good, but I did play it. That's amazing. So was it first-person dungeon crawling, though? No, it was a third person. It was just an MMO. Oh, weird. That seems completely counter to everything that Wizard represents. Wizardry, not Wizard, just Wizard. Look, I wanted everybody to know that in the lead up to this podcast, because I was so annoyed at myself for forgetting Salaryman but didn't want to do anything about it, I had a dream that I told everybody who was going to be on the podcast for Salaryman Corner, they had to write a haiku about wizardry and how it relates to global warming (laughs) and that's what we were all gonna do and then i woke up and thought that's a good idea i should write that down and then i woke up a little bit more and i thought that's fucking stupid that's it uh oh the one detail of the wizardry mmo since we are in this uh dream corner (laughs) uh it's the one of the few MMOs I can think of that actually has permadeath as a feature. Oh, wow. You can just have your character die permanently. Uh, When your character dies, there's a chance that they'll be lost forever. Uh, And that chance can be mitigated by sacrificing items, but you don't have to. You can just play risky. That's great. See, that's really interesting to me because Wizardry was originally an attempt to kind of get the online dungeon experience you could play on the early Play-Doh network computer systems at home without networking. So I like that it kind of went full circle like that. Yeah, that's Of pretty... course, the original Play-Doh uh, dungeon games uh, were just played remotely and not like multiplayer games in any sense. I have no idea. Supposedly they did some pretty wild stuff on Play-Doh back then. I just know about MUDs, and I tried to play a couple of MUDs, and they didn't work out for me. <laughs> I didn't like them. That's it. Um, has anybody else had any weird dreams lately? <laughs> Fuck. I had that dream about wearing Taylor Swift-branded coveralls that I wrote down in the thread. That was a great why, dream. Why Taylor Swift-branded coveralls? Why Taylor Swift? 
Why Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift doesn't really mean anything to me. I mean, it's nice that she finally freaked out all those neo-Nazis by asking people to vote for a Democrat, but why Taylor Swift? <laughs> why, why Taylor Swift branded fashion? Oh wait, there was Avatar on the, on the Play-Doh that was actually multiplayer. And it seems to primarily be much more like a MUDs than like a, a Wizardry-style dungeon crawl. Oh yeah, I mean, like, it's an adaption, but that was one of the big influences on Wizardry. Just that, the experiences of dungeon stuff on Play-Doh. After, I was kind of wondering if I didn't want to wear the white coveralls because... I thought they were too feminine, but really just, I can't wear white. I'm too, like, it's not my color. I can't just wear an outfit that's entirely white. It wouldn't work. <laughs> it just wouldn't work, so. Your your post in that dream thread was actually what inspired me to just make this a dream corner, so thank you. <laughs> um. Okay, let's move on. From this dumb yeah. shit. Wait, what? Yeah. Just one last thing. I did not so much dream as just sort of enter a half-waking, half-sleeping fugue state last night where I kept alternating between turning on my iPod to play music and then sort of just kind of having vague imagery about painting Gundam model kits through my head last night. So that was <laughs> last night i dreamed that i had a, a secret baby i didn't know about and it was a weird baby and it had one weird eye <laughs> dreams are stupid <laughs> dreams are the stupidest and i have frequently stolen from my dreams for our uh, dungeons and dragons for no rangers allowed see it they're great they're stupid and great let's let's move on to our next section which is as always investigation um i included with this i i so i i, I bought 10 copies of Wizardry, and then I, I purchased as well 10 copies of the Wizardry Archive, which is a, a Ultimate Wizardry Archives, which is uh, all of the manuals for Wizardry 1 through... Where is it? Where's the chapter list, for fuck's sake? Nope, I lost it. Anyway, it's like 1 through 6 or something. Um, yeah, a lot of them. Maybe 7. So... 7. There you go. So that's a, that's a part of what I found. I didn't actually read it until just now, but there's some great illustrations in here, which I have to post from the first manual. Since um, I had a physical archot, I, I didn't even see you sent that. Since I took wizard the wizardry cartridge out of my physical Super Nintendo library and plopped it into my Super Nintendo, as I do with all games on the podcast, especially ones only released via download. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. I should have read this before. I would have learned a lot. <laughs> so the first thing I did when I um, opened up this archive that came with the physical copy of the game, the first thing I did was 
open up this file to see what was within. And it opens with a bit of rather purple prose. Uh, it was in the fall of the fifth year of the fanatical wizard Wordna that her campaign began. What season or year it is now, none of us knows. I believe we are on the ninth floor of this cursed maze, but time and distance are ever-shifting, and reality is fleeting. As we break camp, my five companions and I sort out our weapons and supplies. We have accumulated wondrous treasures and mighty weapons. Dreams of returning to enjoy the subtle pleasures that this shared booty could bring fill our wakeful sleep. Sezanar, the samurai. Traditional. <laughs> uh, samurai name. No, excuse me, that was Sezmar. Sezmar, the samurai. Sarah, the priest, and I, a ninja, are the vanguard. Moradin, the thief, Prospero, the mage, and Tuck, the <laughs> bring up the rear. We slowly make our way down the zigzagging corridor. Suddenly, the eldritch light cast by Sarah's Lamalwa <laughs> spell reveals a secret door. Kicking the door open, we charge into a small room. Unfortunately, the hellhounds, demons, and deadly creeping coins do not welcome company. A fierce battle ensues that shakes the very foundations of the maze. I slay one demon with my bare hands while Sesmarnus dispatches the hellhounds with his Muramasa blade. The tide of battle turns and twists in a kaleidoscope of weapons and mystical energies. Finally, Prospero ends it while Sarah shields us behind a maporific... Maporific <laughs> spell. Prospero casts, casts the dreaded tilt-o-weight. We are victorious. There's a bunch of other stuff. Um, <laughs> the the word raising, Stygian comes up. <laughs> resolutely raising our banner high, we stealthily tiptoe forward. We quickly vanish into the Stygian darkness. Momentarily, our banner shines with the gold and silver dragons of Hawkwind's hunters. Hawkwind! Vanishing as distant sounds of battle reverberate. Book 1, Chapter 9, The Chronicles of Hawkwind. Uh... So the ninja's name is Hawkwind, as it, as it turns out. This That's just pinged, a traditional ninja name. This pinged in my head. Um, this is my first experience of wizardry. This is the first time I have encountered Hawkwind in a context, context other than the band. And this sent me on a journey. A long day's journey into wind. This is perfect, and I love it. Um... <laughs> Okay. What I discovered <laughs> will shock you. <laughs> please. What have you discovered? Please enlighten us, Shrug. Please. Please. It's a long... Enlighten us from the Stygian darkness we find ourselves in. <laughs> At longplayarchive.org, I found a long play of Wizardry 4. Where? Where? On a certain page. In the Stygian blackness. Anyway, um, <laughs> apparently in Ultima before Hawkwind rises again, uh, and this is where I discovered in this person's description, uh, Ninja Hawkwind uh, do, is the self-insert of Roe R. Adams III. Roe R. Adams wrote uh, for Wizardry. Uh, Lord Hawkwind is an elven ninja, canonically the leader of the soft talk 
All-Stars, a.k.a. the Cockwind whatever. They are the adventuring party who defeated Wordna in the first game. Uh, after Wordna's demise, Hawkwind holds the esteemed position of Honor Guard of the Inner Sanctum of the Temple of Kant. Hawkwind was also the name of Roar Adams III's SCA character. Uh, Hawkwind is accompanied by his two pet dragons, a gold and a silver one, depicted also on the banner of the Soft Talk All-Stars that they carry into battle. Uh, I looked up Soft Talk. It is a magazine focused on the Apple II that started publishing in 1980, the same year as the first Wizardry came out. Do, 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 do. Der Hawkwind of Scar of Ray was uh, Roe Adams' persona in the Society for Creative Anachronism, uh, which he participated in together with Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Don Chimino, Sale Dasil Abrin Gwald, fake Welsh. Characters by the name of Hawkwind appear not only in Wizardry, but also in the Bard's Tale and Ultima series, because Roe Ro Adams took part in designing those two. Um, Wait, so Shamina was uh, Lord British's uh, SCA name? That's interesting to me. Uh, apparently, these guys uh, love to name people after their SCA characters because it's less they love to obvious name thing. their SCA characters after nerd me. Yeah, was yes. A, was uh, say this Robert guy has probably named enough things Hawkwind to count as a member of Hawkwind by the way Hawkwind <laughs> counts members by this yeah so Hawkwind for anyone who doesn't know is a space rock band uh, that was founded in the 1960s it is I believe the best description I ever heard of it was a weird combination of the Moody Blues and Pink Floyd if they actually bothered rocking I would add Pink Floyd and Pink Floyd ever actually did drugs, which isn't entirely fair since Sid Barrett was an acid casualty, but no one listens to the Pink Floyd that Sid Barrett was actually a part of, do they? <laughs> also, Richard Wright had a serious heroin problem, but I don't think it affected his music, it just limited his ability to contribute to the band late, later in their output. Is that, the same they, is that why they brought uh, Michael Moorcock, famed fantasy author, on board to uh, write Hawkwind's lyrics? No, I'm just talking about Pink Floyd now. Oh. Wait, before... If only the same could be said for Nick Mason. What a shitty drummer. Haha, <laughs> back to Hawkwind. Hawkwind <laughs> is possibly... <laughs> Nick Mason, like... The uh, Ringo of drummers, am I right? Ha 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 ha. Anyway, Hawkwind is uh, Hawkwind's the most Michael Moorcock of bands, and that's including Michael Moorcock and the Deep Fix, which actually had Michael Moorcock as the front man and Michael Moorcock in the name. They did songs about space. And wizards and wizards in space. Wizards uh, they, in space. They had a 16-minute-long song called "You Shouldn't Do That," which is mostly just the same three chords being played over and over again. And eventually, someone starts saying "You shouldn't do that" over and over again. Which, by the and, way, that song fucking rules. And uh, if you if you had to pick a Hawkwind song that had been playing 
this entire time that you've been talking about Hawkwind, what song would you pick? Just theoretically, hypothetically. Almost certainly you shouldn't do that. Okay, that's that's probably what I was going to play without any input yeah. whatsoever, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, they still exist. They've gone through many members. Lemmy of Motorhead fame uh, got his start, really, uh, playing guitar for them. He was kicked out after he got arrested for drug possession in Canada while they were on tour, which is kind of weird given their reputation. But okay. Uh, maybe they just didn't like that he collected all that Nazi memorabilia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> maybe it was a good cover for other reasons. I heard he was kind of terrifying to tour with in general. Um, so yeah, I started listening to them because as a teenager who listened to lots of Pink Floyd, because that's the kind of teenager I was, someone said to me one day in the AOL Games chat, the official AOL Mac Games chat of AOL, AOL, said, you listen to Hawkwind? You seem like you listen to Hawkwind, and I did not like admitting that I didn't know things at the time. I was like... 16 I said uh sure and then I looked them up and then I found a CD which was one of their 300,000 completely identical double live albums <laughs> in which they play the same three chords over and over again because the audience is theoretically too blitzed out of their minds to notice this cannot be said of what uh, one second before wanted me to say is their best album, uh, Space Ritual. Space Ritual is good. That's a solid choice. It is the double live album to listen to. They play distinct songs on that. It has a good vo version of Masters of the Universe. Was one or more of the creators of He-Man a Hawkwind fan? Probably. Uh, it has Orgon, Accum <laughs> Orgon Accumulator featuring the lines, I got an Oregon accumulator, and it makes me feel greater. I'll see you sometime later when I'm through with my accumulator. No classic. Look, um, look up Oregon Energy if you, like, right now. Pause the, pause the podcast. Well, not right now. Okay, look up Oregon Energy and then pause the podcast. Go. It's amazing. Spoilers, it's a masturbation box. It's a masturbation yeah. box. God damn it, Tulpa. So, in addition to songs about uh, Silver Machines about a silver machine that goes really fast. Wow. Uh, uh, how you shouldn't do things and specifically of the universe. <laughs> uh, they sang about masturbation boxes and how they make them feel so good. This is the sort of band Hawkwind is. They kind well, of... masturbation boxes were very big with 1960s sci-fi authors. I, I, I have no idea or speculation as to why mostly male 1960s sci-fi authors were so interested in boxes that uh, uh, purportedly would turn your masturbation energies into magic. <laughs> no idea why that would be. Um, what all this is leading to is, of course, Obviously, this dude was a huge Hawkwind fan, loved the Hawk and Wind. The name Hawkwind is allegedly named after Nick Turner, longtime saxophone player for the band. According to possibly apocryphal tales on the internet, 
had a habit of hawking big old loogies and also breaking wind quite loudly <laughs> at the same time. That's so where the decided, name comes from. When they decided to change the name of their band, they thought they'd name it after Nick. And name it Hawkwind. So, Lord Hawkwinds, a wise sage in Ultima, for and beyond, and um, a ninja assassin who led the canonical fucking Wizardry One party is named after Hawkin Loogies and Farting. And <laughs> this has been my presentation on Farting and Phlegm. You can download the PowerPoint. <laughs> There's a link in the in the podcast description to download Shrug's PowerPoint. Um, one second before, also wanted to say that Quark's Strangeness and Charm is an underrated album. It has some okay synthesizer noodling on it. Oh, it's okay. Please edit some synthesizer noodling into this entire segment as the I th- this whole time you shouldn't do that has definitely been playing. That song's fifteen. Hey Moorcock, what's with the original end of Gloriana, huh? <laughs> I guess I don't know what that means. It. Uh, uh, I don't the original end of Gloriana is some um, problematic ass shit that we should not go into. I have. I have a thing that I want to mention, though. I, yeah, I've got a few things, too. I have an important... It's about that amazing art in the manual. Yeah, let's describe the arts for the listeners. It's it's these, like... I mean, they look like doodles in a, a fifth grader's notebook. They're amazing, and they're sort of funny. Uh, like, you know, there's three... There's they're, two they're warriors. Cute. Yeah, they're cute. It's very cutesy. Well, so the important thing to note is that Will McLean, the illustrator, uh, was already well known at the time for doing cartoons for Dragon Magazine and the Dungeon Master's Guide for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So, oh, cool. Uh, That's the this same was, guy. Yeah. So this was actually like a kind of like, uh, hey, D&D heads, look at this video game. This is as like close to D&D as you'll ever get. It reminds me of some of the art from, um, ah, fuck. What's that shitty card game called? It's like Munchkin. Munchkin. Thank you. I just saw all I had to say was shitty card game. (laughs) The Munchkin artist is basically like a shitty version of Will McLean. Okay, cool. So that, that's, that, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, this art is fantastic. And if, uh, if you can find the, um ultimate wizardry archives it's a really cool little thing it's a really cool little artifact so yep i oh uh, okay mine's mine's short i want to go real quick okay so the bad guy in the first wizardry is called wordna w-e-r-d-n-a and for those of you among us who try to pronounce everything backwards like i do that's just andrew backwards in wizardry 4 in the the story it says, I have captured the mystical amulet from the mad overlord Trebor, which is just Robert backwards. And all of this makes me think of Rogue, where the main thing that you're trying to get is the amulet of Yendor, which is just Rodney backwards. And it makes me wonder if 
people just think the same or if this was a specific tribute to Rogue. That's all I had to say. <laughs> I believe, actually, it's just coincidence in this case. However, I do want to note, you mentioned Wizardry 4, and I just want to briefly note that it's probably the most interesting uh, Wizardry to play after Wizardry 1, just because uh, it gives Wizardry 1 a story, basically. Uh, in Wizardry 4, you, you play you play Wordna. You play the villain of the first three games. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. And I like instead that. Instead of like having a party, you summon monsters to fight by your side. So uh Wizardry invented Pokemon. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, Tiger, what did you have to say? Okay, well one thing about that real quick, it also might be a tradition going back to Dungeons and Dragons because a lot of Dungeons and Dragons there's a few cases in advanced Dungeons and Dragons like uh Castle Zagig. I think that was in the original Dungeons yeah, and Dragons. Yeah, Castle Zagig yeah. was uh, Which is in the original Greyhawk campaign, right? Yeah, yeah. Um I think yeah, it's G- Greyhawk's Gygax, so it would be in Gygax and Zagig is just a uh it's just the word the name Gygax mixed up. And there's a lot of and there's a few different things I can't remember off the top of my head in advanced Dungeons and Dragons that are named like that. So I think that's just the cool thing to do in the late 70s and early 80s. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of figured um, that, you know, Net, uh, not NetHack, Rogue was not the first time that somebody thought, oh, my name backwards sounds like a fantasy name. My name backwards is uh, Not Milk, which does not sound at all like a fantasy name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have quite a bit of background on this, as I, I often do, that I thought was really interesting about this game. A lot of the genesis and a lot of the limitations on this game were just based on the fact that they were like, hey, I bet if we released this cool game of this sort that you can only play on mainframes on a mat- on a uh, Apple II, which is really common and a lot of people have, I bet we could make some money off of that. Like uh, saving in town. You can only save in town because they couldn't figure out how to have enough space to store stuff like dungeon coordinates and all of the equipment on the disc with their limited space. So they're like, okay, well, you can save in town. That's that's the way we're going to handle that. Because it would save the characters to the disc, actually. Like, it would use the same disc for uh, playing the game and storing the game. Wait, did yeah. Apple II have a hard drive? It must oh, have. I- I think it might have had an add-on, but almost nothing had a built-in hard drive back then. It's kind of yeah, like it's actually very common for games up until like the late '80s on the PC and like PC adjacent systems uh, that uh, uh, you would save directly to the disc, and it would like change the original disc's data. Like Wasteland, uh, in particular, I think. Uh, uh, would basically rewrite the whole disc uh, when you saved. That's beautiful. Um, that's the, you know every disc becomes an artifact of your own playthrough. I love that. There's also this limitation also leads to the weird spell naming convention because they didn't have the space to have a full text parser with it. So their original idea was you would type in the name of a spell. But which is actually how it works in the PC game still, but they didn't have enough space for fire and light and all that. So they figured out a way, so they have a system in it where all of the spells are just a series of 
like um, prefixes and suffixes and modifiers, and each of those just translates to a number or by the program, and then that number is actually what the game is checking for the spell, and that's why they have all those weird components, which would indirectly go on to influence naming conventions and stuff like uh, Dragon Quest and uh, JRPGs all the way to today, not just uh, Dragon Quest, but um, the Shin Megami Tensei series, which is super heavily indebted to wizardry. And that's um, that's interesting. I feel like Dragon Quest uh, actually influenced the re-release of this on the Super Nintendo, specifically in the music category. So it's this like circular thing, right? I mean, Dragon Quest was essentially like, what if wizardry and Ultima were combined into one super game? Right, which is, yeah, it makes sense. Like, when I play this, I feel like I'm playing an extremely evil Dragon Quest. <laughs> the cruelty of this game cannot be overstated. It, it really can't. I watched you get decapitated twice. I had, like, a one-hit kill. I was like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> Apparently there's a later there's a later installment in the series where the absolutely necessary uh game required lock and key can only get this in one place items can be stolen by common thieves thief enemies wait so the oh my god that's amazing this game is cruel (laughs) i love it i love how cruel this game is the neat but thing like, about it is because there are because the dungeon itself is stateless uh when you uh return to wherever the lock and key item originally was you'd be able to get it again could you there there are two keys on the first floor could you get a key leave and then go back and get the same key i wouldn't think so no because you already have the key in your inventory okay so it's an in inventory okay i got you i just want yeah to check. wouldn't surprise me if it's just got a little number in there saying how many of an item are are in the player's inventory or even just because like that would this be... specific key has an id and that's in the inventory so you can't get it well, again. No, that... yeah that's that's basically all they're tracking is like whether or not you have uh the item with the specific id like the dungeon itself uh, doesn't change except uh, when you have already taken a unique item. I feel like there was a lot more. Oh, 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 uh, we would be remiss to not mention the anime original video animation that inspired this game and is freaky accurate to it. Oh, yeah, inspired tell me about by. anime. Inspired by to it, yeah. Inspired by it, yeah. So in the early 90s, like, yeah, I mean, just to to clarify, this game had market potential in japan from 1982 83 from when it came out to um well they re-released it in 1989 and right smack there in the middle in 1991 they decided to make a short anime by it which is a very literal interpretation there's a town full of a bunch of adventurers who go down into the one dungeon outside of town and they're trying to get a magic amulet and not die and unusually for this kind of adaption um, characters actually die, and one of the characters actually gets too old, and um, it's just a very, very literal interpretation of it, and I found it surprisingly compelling. Uh, 
And this anime was also very clearly inspired by the sudden popularization of fantasy anime in the early 90s, thanks to uh, Record of Lotus War, which was directly based on some guy's D&D adventure. Yeah, based on uh, these, uh, a game of uh, sci-fi novelists who wrote up their Dungeons and Dragons game as a series of, well, basically proto-let's plays. They're called replays in Japan, and, which then got further refined into more novely things and got turned into a very long-running anime series. Well, very long-running for a single series. Uh, but yeah, so so basically, like even in the world of anime. Uh, D&D led directly to Wizards. I mean, through MMOs, it's arguably still one of the most popular subjects. It's just really horny now. <laughs> it's just really horny now. <laughs> like, not, like, not that some of the character designs in Record of Lotus War weren't kind of horny, but, like, they got nothing on, on uh, like, is it okay to pick up girls in the dungeon? <laughs> that was that wasn't a joke. That's a real thing. Oh god, that is the real title of a thing. Oh god. So, so apparently, in time, uh, Hawkwind the Seer in Ultima was revealed <laughs> to be the time the Time Lord, uh, uh. a powerful being, a powerful being of ambiguous origin who ensures the smooth and orderly flow of time through space, a task, in his words, beyond the comprehension of mortals. He holds dear the well-being of the universe, opposing those who would seek to bring destruction and chaos. It is later revealed that he has at times donned the seemingly mortal person persona known as Hawkwind, through which he has been responsible for the moral and spiritual guidance of the Avatar, guiding the hero first into taking on the mantle of avatarhood and later assisting them in their final quest towards the reunification with the guardian and ultimately ascension. Are you saying that a fan of a 1960s space rock band also likes Doctor Who? Uh, it's probably a coincidence. No. Yeah. I, there's, there's no way that that's not a coincidence. I mean, no one who loves who's would be a fan of a British space rock thing for space rock band from the sixties would be a fan of a British space show from the nineteen sixties. Just no, no way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one other note about the anime: there was a ninja named Hawkwind. So apparently, that dude from Ultima has traveled through space and time into an anime. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's the the the. Anime seems to present the canonical party that is uh, mentioned in the motherfucker in the um, Ultimate Wizardry Archives Manual. So the Ninja Hawkwind is Roe whatever's Ninja Hawkwind. Yeah. What, one yeah. thing the anime also conveys really well that the game does too is that it's very bleak feeling like there's nothing but a castle surrounded by this vast wasteland and the castle is just made of this bare stone and nobody seems especially happy about anything and nobody has anything better to do than go into a dungeon and risk their life to get a little treasure that's uh i think one of the things that distinguishes uh the wizardry games from later dungeon crawlers like 
I am personally not as much of a fan of wizardry as I am of uh, the Might and Magic series. And the Might and Magic series is generally a lot more, like, colorful and optimistic and less bleak. And, like, that that's just purely a matter of preference for me, uh, that I like Might and Magic's uh, tone a lot more. Uh, wizardry has... Uh, wizardry really captures the feel of dungeon crawling, like, the like idealized mode of this particular style of like labyrinthine maze dungeon is something that wizardry has specialized in and other uh dungeon trolls have never really like bothered to attempt except except uh the first real-time dungeon crawler uh dungeon master What's uh, kind of funny is Etrian Odyssey, exp- like, atmospherically it doesn't do that, but at least in the first game, the story is actually really grim once you get to the end, because there's no motivation except to get to the bottom of the world and kill the thing at the bottom of the world, and spoilers for a 10-year-old game, uh, you kill the tree that is the world, so you lead to its eventual destruction in the first game. Beautiful. For basically no reason. That's... <laughs> That's amazing! Ah, oh, fuck, I need to play that game. Where's my DS? Shit, I think I got rid of it when I moved. Four, fuck. Four's a lot better. Four's a lot better. Is it, Even though? Even if it's less I only, gameplay-wise. I only played uh, the Mysterious Dungeon Etrian Odyssey game, which was bad. I didn't like that game. I thought it was bad. I, I adore four. Tulpa and I four. disagree on the Etrian series, but I really like it. And Bachelor, who I... could not... I am the Etrian hater, uh, so... Maybe I'll just play Might and Magic for the first time, because I've played a lot of heroes of said Might and or Magic, but I've never played the originals. If you do start with either 3 or 4, both of those, I think, are pretty rad. They're they're comfortable games, but they're also, like, games that are comfortable with letting you explore and see, uh, like, the boundaries of the world and, like, come up with your own solutions to puzzles. They feature, like, puzzles and interesting obstacles a lot more than the Wizardry games do, which uh, Wizardry as a series is much more focused on uh, making you feel lost and oppressed by the hostile uh, universe. And that is just how I feel on a Tuesday, so maybe Might Magic is the way to go. (laughs) What were you going to say, Modal? I was just going to comment on how freaking good the music in uh, Etrian Odyssey is. That is the one really, really uh, standout feature for me of that series, is the music is absolutely fantastic. Did Yuzo Koshiro do more than four? Because he did four, and it's great. I think he did almost all of them. If not all of them. Might and Magic 4 is subtitled... The Clouds of Zine. I don't think Meeks is anyone's name. Don't you want to be in The Clouds of Zine? I want to be... The cool thing is, if you put Might and Magic 4 and 5 together in the same install, which I think most modern releases do automatically, they become a single super game uh, where you can teleport between the worlds of 4 and 5 whenever you want. What? Oh, I love I love this Sonic and Knuckles shit. Oh damn, it's the clouds of Zine and Dark Side of Zine. <laughs> yeah, Zine is nearly as calm. Zine and is black. a flat earth and uh on one side is uh 
uh, Might and Magic 4, and on the other side is Might and Magic 4. Peeps, peeps, this isn't a drill. There was a SNES port of Might and Magic 3. Fuck, okay, well, that's We could literally a... play that for the podcast someday. Yeah, I actually first played Might and Magic 3 in the SNES port. Well, if that comes up on the randomization, I, I'm don't kind blame of me. Tempted to, I'm kind of tempted to switch my um, SNES Explorer's choice to that, because I think that would be really radical to play. Hey, if you want to, let me know. <laughs> oh, and uh, for anyone who wants something that feels earnestly like a wizardry-like but slightly modernized, the Nintendo DS release, The Dark Spire, is amazing. And it also features an incredible sound. Well, okay, we've got a bunch of game recommendations here, which is rare. I like. I, I have some stuff I want to say for Revelation, which will, will be a little bit different this time, so I think this is this will be interesting. But um, I think we've investigated the heck out of this game. This was a really good conversation, but was there other investigation stuff we wanted to cover before we switch over? Oh, I just wanted to note that I basically covered uh, my like brief mini rant about the structure of dungeons in talking about wizardry, so I don't have anything for Revelation. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm just fucking obsessed with this dude who couldn't stop naming things Hawkwind. Everywhere he went, he had to have a self-insert character named after his SCA character, which was named after Hawkwind. What was his just, problem? Why I'm couldn't he stop? Kind of liking the... Stop, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, I actually kind of like it because as cheeseball as it is, I like that all, the majority of uh, like golden, the really classic golden age computer RPGs are apparently um, all in continuity with each other because of this guy who couldn't stop naming himself Hawkwind. <laughs> so yeah, it's beautiful. It's the, 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 the uh, sleazy universe of instead of TV shows, it's, it's games, it's dungeon crawling games of the late 80s the 80s and 90s oh there is also a quest of the avatar ultima manga that hawkwind appeared in so <laughs> multiple multiple illustrated or animated japanese medium uh in which this hawkwind character appeared so so the answer to how to get japan to turn your oc into a real anime is to make a video game in the 80s. Perfect. Apparently. Hey, I got that time machine right here, and we're going to use it to get a bunch of money from lottery tickets and to get our self-insert characters into anime. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to move on to the topic of Revelation. I've changed this up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give everybody about a minute to state their final thoughts and any bottom-line reviews they've come up with, and we're just going to do that in order so everybody has a chance to talk. Uh, except Tulpa, who apparently has nothing to say, but feel free to <laughs> feel free to have a revelation anyway. Um, so we will go ahead and get into our final topic, which is, of course, as always, revelation. Um, so, Tiger, are you prepared to start us off? Oh, yeah, I've been... I formulated it while we were having the rest of our conversation, and uh, it became a little bit more profound for me personally than I expected. Perfect. All right, well, uh, well, give us a go here. So the thing in the conversation we had, especially the talking about how the important part was the map, 
I realize that wizardry is kind of the inflection point for a lot of things I like about games. And in fact, when I think of like, what are my absolute favorite games, they all owe something to this idea of exploring a territory like uh, wizardry does. And I hadn't really realized how much of like the exploring the territory was just really important to me before this conversation. And I was even thinking about a game called Thief, which recently got, I think it's 20th anniversary. And I was reading this great um, article by Liz Ryerson about the first Thief game. And I was thinking about how much I enjoyed Thief. And Thief is a game of spatial navigation, especially the first one. Because you get the, because yeah, it's a 3D real-time game, but it has a very similar vibe to Wizardry. You're in these big, complicated areas. You have a vague idea of the shape of them, but Thief doesn't have a precise map. It's all very vague. Like, you'll get a map, and it'll have a square that says, this is the dining room. And how much I like trying to go through these areas and learning these areas and learning more things about these areas and being scared of what I might find in there. And how that revel- and how back when I first played Super Metroid, and it blew my mind when I played it, um, how much I liked that feeling, and how much when I was replaying Metroid 2 recently, how much I liked that feeling of being in this dark, scary world and trying to map it out. And just, that's kind of defining experience for me, and how much of that I really feel like came from wizardry in the first place. Um, if you want to read a lot of really interesting and incisive uh, uh explorations on Thief's mechanics and level design. Robert Yang's uh, blog posts about it from like a decade ago are wonderful. Oh yeah, I read I read all those. I'm I'm a real Thief fiend. Like when I'm cornered to the wall, like what my favorite game is, I usually say Thief 1 or 2. Like, I don't talk about them a whole lot for some reason, but they're very, very important games to me. And I just the feeling of playing Thief is almost the ideal for me when playing a video game. And the reboot. God, you love it. <laughs> I, I, do, like I do love Perfect. the original two Thief games as well. We, we are on the same page there. I need to play those because this sounds, I mean, like there's, after my wizardry experience, so... this sounds good. They're so good. Like, they're so good. And, it like, you're going to have to do a little remapping on Thief 1 to make it kind of comfortable to play. And it's going to feel a little slow, but it's just, ah, there is nothing like the Thief games. And Thief 1 is even weird for those. And I'd say don't read up on what happens in Thief 1 before you play it. Because Thief 2, that's mostly just a whole bunch of really fun to navigate warehouses that are really expertly designed. But Thief 1, you're not going to know what you're going to face in Thief 1 before you play Thief 1. So just play Thief Thief 2 is more than just warehouses. It also has those really excellent city streets. Oh, yeah. The city streets are really fun. It's weird. Exploration Squad, where we talk (laughs) about Thief for two hours. (laughs) Oh, God. I could do, no, no shit, I could probably do, like, a Thief cast where we just talked about every level in Thief and, and have a real satisfying time doing that. Hey, if you send me a schedule, I'll sign up. I'll play the damn game. It's uh, 250 on GOG right actually, now. Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually seriously thinking about suggesting that as an idea because this, like, I'm immediately excited by that. Perfect. Uh, do you have a bottom line review for Wizardry? I don't really have a bottom line. 
in review. Oh, one one last detail. When they said Stiggy and Darkness, I start immediately thought of Stiggy and Abyss, which is the first Looking Glass Studios games, and those guys would eventually make Thief. So I do wonder if there's maybe a little bit of uh, direct things. But yeah, I, I don't have a bottom line review. Just Wizardry is the genesis of all of, of so many things that I've realized are my favorite thing about games. And even for all of its limitations it just actually really has a strong impact on me. I'm actually kind of weirdly emotional thinking about this because this game is the start of so much I care about and has really clarified about what I kind of want to do with games design of my own going forward. That's that's wonderful. I'm really glad we got to play this. I was not looking forward to playing Wizardry, and it ended up being a really good experience, so I'm happy. Um, Modal, uh, what, do you, what do you got for Revelation for us? Um, okay, so I specifically want to focus on the Super Famicom version that we were playing. Um, so we talked a little bit about wizardry as a whole and, you know, later versions and different versions of the same kind of dungeon crawling, first person hack, dungeon hacks. Um, I think uh, the, the Super Famicom version in particular is very welcoming. It's very gentle. It's very pleasant. The music is captivating. It's it's just a really accessible. Uh, it's like a great compromise if you are curious about you know what what's okay. This sounds good. Maybe it sounds like I could have fun. Um, for me personally, I I uh, I think I really enjoyed playing Wizardry because it. It made me feel things. Uh, that's what I'm usually looking for when I play video games. I'm trying to see, you know, what kind of experience it's going to give me. And in this particular case, a lot of fear and uncertainty and, um, uh, like, a little bit of that kind of nice anxiety. But then another overriding feeling I felt playing this game was uh, satisfaction at progression. I think that uh, pinpointing something that Tolpa was talking about earlier, how they were saying the uh, mapping is the principal point to them. It's, it's the main idea of the game. And it may have been intended that way um, from a Western perspective, from the people who designed it. Uh, but I think Japan really latched onto the tactical opportunities that were presented by the game. And they ended up emphasizing those in their interpretation of what wizardry represented, um, you know, rebalancing the encounters and really thinking about the player's progression, you know, in a way that a lot of other Japanese RPGs um, demonstrate. And I think that's really interesting, like looking at this Western game refracted through this Japanese lens uh, and thinking about how I feel like they they emphasize the tactics. And, you know, it's I feel like that's why maybe partially why you see auto mapping and, and the do mapping spell being changed to uh, allow you to, you know, all these accessibility concerns, which you may see as undermining the game to some extent. Um, if you're more concerned about the tactical side of it, then these, these concessions make sense. And I also really appreciate how in the super Famicom and, and uh, the Saturn and PlayStation versions, they give you options. Like you can use the old graphics if you like, you can, you know, all these additional options, I think, um, I just think it's a really interesting, uh, my bottom line is, uh, it's not really a review, but I think it's very interesting how it's a Western game that's reinterpreted through Japanese values. I, I really think that's interesting. That's that's what really struck me, mostly. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I really think that the Japanese sort of vague obsession with wizardry at that time period is really interesting, especially considering it's a Western game based on another Western game, essentially. So that's awesome. This has been a really informative uh, podcast. I did not expect that. Also, hello, welcome Ramona, who uh, has joined late in the game while we're doing Revelation, which is great. Uh, how you doing? Great. I just threw open the door and came home and said, "Oh no, am I too late for the podcast?" You're not. You're. We're on Revelation, so that's. It's. I'm. I'm super glad you're. We're able to make it for a few minutes. That's great. Um, I'm gonna give you a little time to summarize what you thought about the game. So, shrug if you've got a Revelation section for us. That would be awesome. Uh, well, um. I hmm hmm. I think uh, ultimately, like life, uh, wizardry is wizardry is about pain, uh, and so it is in that more like more like life itself than any other game I can think of off the top of my head. Except the, the game that you're developing. Head, the type of my head. It's about creeping out uh, slow and easy, getting beaten by shadowy figures until you're on the brink of death or possibly reduced to a pile of ash. Uh, maybe making it home. Trying to patch yourself together from the meager resources you gained from your journey. Uh, maybe you stay in bed. For maybe three weeks. Know- Maybe you know the healing tricks. Maybe you don't. Maybe you aged three years in what felt like just a few weeks in in bed. Maybe you figure out the menus. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you, when you roll your character, you got only five bonus points. When some people got 67. You know, that's just life. That that happens. So the the knives of the cobbles and the teeth of the rat bunnies uh, are that much sharper for you. Maybe you end up plunging back into the dungeon, and maybe you stay in the stable. You know, that's just that's just life. We all cope with it in different ways. We all run back up the ladder at different times. We all have different levels of eyesight. We all choose whether or not we feel we can look up what the spells do or not. Sometimes we lose manuals. It's okay. Maybe original character do not steal at some point. What am I talking about? I can't remember. In conclusion, wizardry is a land of contrasts. <laughs> um sometime it feel good to stab the man sometimes the man stab you bad and you're in bed for 17 weeks it's fine it happens um wizardry is the proving grounds of the street overlord i think that is simultaneously the most deep thing that's been said on this podcast and the most obtuse reference to Hawkwind we've had uh, on this podcast. So that's good. You're, you're two snicks exclusives.
Um, I'll go ahead and go, and then I'll let Ramona and Tulpa finish finish us off. Finish me off. Um, so hey, hey. hey, hey. oops. Um, <laughs> so I was surprised by wizardry. I really thought that this was going to be a nightmare podcast of a difficult game that hasn't aged well. And it turns out that wizardry is, if not elegant, at least interesting. And it, it tries hard to be an interesting experience, which I very much appreciated. Um, I was very entranced by the idea of making a map outside of a game. I've never really done that because most games don't hold my attention long enough to actually do that. Um, I find it to be irritating to have to do anything outside of the game that isn't turning it off. So, <laughs> so I was very surprised by that. Um, I really liked the communal aspect of playing it with, uh, with modal and building this map together. I screwed it up and had to copy and paste a bunch of stuff over to the correct cells, which was great. Um, and yeah, it really made me feel a little bit like I was back in 1999 <laughs> playing this game for the first time, learning about it with uh, friends. And that seems to me to be the true joy of wizardry is the communal aspect, learning about it with friends and making little notebooks dedicated to a game that really wants you to die. So in conclusion, <laughs> wizardry... <laughs> is a land of contrasts. Uh, wizardry is the first time I've enjoyed journaling. That's my bottom line review for Wizardry 1 through 3, the story of Lil Gaiman, whatever it's fucking called. The end. I hope I get an A-plus on this. Thank you, teacher. This was my book report for Wizardry. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um, uh, Ramona, do you want to go? Sure. Cool. Okay, so Wizardry... I thought it was great because, um, well, I like games like Wizardry uh, because I've never played a tabletop game, you know, no Dungeons and Dragons for me. So this is as close as I've ever gotten where I could just make a party of OCs and go through uh, a game with a very bare bones plot or non-existent plot, and just kind of make up my own story. You know, I can play my own shitty story instead of someone else's shitty story. Um, oh, also, uh, Shrug, you can, uh, if you press the Y button at the character creation menu, you can re-roll their, their stats. Yeah, we, esta we established this, but oh, well. we learned, we found, it was a, we learned a lot today. It was truly a revelation. Nice. Re Revelations persona, uh, exclusively on PlayStation. <laughs> uh. Shit, I lost my train of thought here. I was talking about uh, role-playing because, you know, it, it's a good game to play at night when you're wrapped up in a blanket and you're just like, I'm I'm bored or I'm sad or something and I need to go through a dungeon and fight some skeletons and look up some treasures and uh, just get my creative juices flowing in a matter of speaking. Do you have any? Uh, do you have we, a bottle? We, oh, we live in a we live in a society. <laughs> God. <laughs> Bottom line review: wizardly wizardry. We live in a society. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All, All right, right, Tulpa. So I get final thoughts. You do. I get to sum everything up into one tidy pile of pain and oppression and ripping off drug yep so 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 finish us off send us off with a bang here
wizardry is a reminder of race and class-based oppression through the metaphor of a dungeon. <laughs> That's great. This is, a, this I like is as where true this as it gets. Going. like where it's going. I think that I mean, might obviously be it. the dungeon represents society, and the dungeon is inherently oppressive and hostile to anyone, uh, but especially those of a particular set of races and classes, such as uh, priest or bishop or uh, fighter or uh, gnome. Gnomes especially seem to get the uh, the short end of the stick uh, in this universe, so they are uh, clearly dealing with some shit. Is, uh, is that why they turn to faith? I mean, they don't necessarily turn to faith. My gnome is a fighter. <laughs> but they just have high piety, is all. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's fair. They are a pious people, the gnome. Anyway, uh, this is all to say that uh, wizardry for a day made by a bunch of white dudes uh, can be seen as uh, useful metaphor for how much it sucks to deal with the world sometimes, especially if uh, you're not like uh, uh, the most privileged, as I was not because I didn't know how to reroll my stats in the game or in real life. <laughs> okay, well there we go. So that's wizardry. It It is <laughs> a land of contrasts. I can't get over that. Um, okay, perfect. I think that's a great revelation section. Thanks for everybody for uh, humoring my weird idea. I hope it worked out well. We'll see if, if it doesn't happen next week. We had a private conversation on the Discord about how terrible this idea was. Um, but that's it for this podcast. Um, it, hey, everybody who's here right now, where can people find you if they want more of you? I'm Automatic Tiger, and you can find me on Twitter as Automatic Tiger, and you can find me on... Um the select button forums as automatic tiger. And I have a basically disused Tumblr that's still kind of vestigial after the Tumblr apocalypse. Uh, also at auto tiger, I think I can't remember Tumblr's dead. Anyway, you're never, you probably don't want to look at it. Um, uh, but, and uh, if you want to find me any of those places, just look me up there, say hi, maybe we'll, we'll have a good time. We'll play some, Board games, I guess. On the uh, <laughs> um, uh, I am modal, and you spell that M E A U X D A L. I pretty much use that username everywhere. Uh, so, Twitch, Twitter, select button forums, um, Bandcamp, and you can find my music there. Uh, and yeah, that's where you can find me. How many world records do you have right now? It's, I don't know. It's, I have a couple, I guess. <laughs> a couple world records. <laughs> yes, anyway, sorry. Oh, I'm next. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Romana. You can find me on the forum at Lonely Frontier. You can find me on Twitter at Lonely Frontier. You could go to my website, www.lonelyfrontier.net. Uh, and see all the things that I do. Have fun. Don't go to LonelyFrontier.com. That's the wrong website. No, that's a, a game developer. They they made a walking sim that I bought for $5. It, it was not very good. Sorry to say <laughs> LonelyFrontier.com.
I'm Shrug, the living walking simulator. I am on the forums as Shrug. I am on Twitter at Shrugopolis. I am on the Rangers Allowed being a piss baby, but also a dwarf. Except for that one episode where we played a different game, and then I was a lady with a long history of killing animals. Look, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can find me on the forum as Talpa. You can find me on Twitter as Memorius Talpa. And you can find me as the dungeon master of No Rangers Allowed, where Shrug is a delightful dwarf and every player is far more interesting and creative than I could ever hope to be. Uh, follow the adventures of No Rangers Allowed to discover what really happened to my team of wizardry characters, BJ, Captain Shaw, Ven, Gorm, Bernie, and Honeydew. Yeah, that, there's my plug. It's really good. You should really listen to it. It's awesome. There's a bit where there's like a sentient fungus that lives in a dude be- dude's beard, and it's a nice sentient fungus. It's really great. You should listen to it. It's great. Yeah, I can vouch for No Rangers Allowed is the best D&D podcast that exists of all time. Um, <laughs> and I've listened to all of the Adventure Zone. Um, well, except the new stuff. <laughs> so I have been Virtual Clint. Uh, you can find me on the forums as I've changed my name. Well, no, wait, I'm virtual clan on the forums still. I'm on Twitter as Vasilcania, which is like Castlevania, but with the V and the C switch, because why the fuck not? Uh, yeah, I'm either virtual clan or that any, anywhere. Um, here's the part where I tell you what you can do to help us. If you like this podcast, spread the word. We don't advertise because we're broke as shit. So tell your favorite overlord, tell your sentient coin army, or just tweet about us. It helps. The only way people find out find out about us is through word of mouth and rating. Tell and- small humanoids too. Tell small humanoid two, three, and four. Rating and reviewing on iTunes is also great. I just got a new uh, software where I can see your reviews. Yay! So maybe I'll read yours on the uh, podcast. You can also um, email us at SN... Wait, wait, what is it? Oh, fucking, I don't know. Oh, there we go. SNES at SNES.zone. SNES at SNES.zone. Email us and I will read it on the podcast because I love you. We have a website. You can find it at snes.zone. No surprise there. It has links to our Twitter feed, which is where you can vote for games, short bios for everybody, social media links for everybody, and some other fun stuff. Uh, I recently redid it so it's mobile-friendly. I say recently. That was seven months ago, but I haven't changed my script. If you want us to read... Nope, I already did that part. Fuck. Right. Uh, Finally, we've now got a Patreon page. The podcast is always going to be free. Why would I charge for this shit? But your support helps us pay for server costs, new equipment. I have to pay for that domain. Uh, And eventually I'd like to pay people to be on the cast. If you give us $100 a month, I will just split it between everybody who's on the cast. It's great. Uh, We've got tiers for as low as a dollar. You can pledge for things like joining our private Discord, which is at $5, uh, dictating games for us to play, which I can't remember what that is. You can star on the podcast yourself, you egomaniac. Please give us 
money at any tier i will send you exclusive clips of things i cut out of the podcast because they were too weird this is only sort of true i'm very bad at updating patreon uh i will at least let you know when the uh podcast comes out it's patreon.com slash snexploration or you can go to bankaccount.zone i still own bankaccount.zone uh, <clears throat> as always, for more inane video game discussion, jump into the selectbutton.net forums. We're all there. We're very active. We love you. The next podcast is going to come out whenever I edit it. I have this one and a previous one to edit, and God knows when that's going to happen. Um, next time, uh, we are going to vote on some games. we got some more games to vote on, so let's find out what three games you'll be voting on. If you hurry to our Twitter at Snexploration. You can catch this vote. Should be going on for a few more days after this releases. The next three games up for the decision are you're going to love this shit. WWF Royal Rumble. Which I assume Ramona may be on <laughs> if that gets I, chosen. I, I still own my copy of that game actually. Oh my god, that's we, amazing. We all own all of these games, so of course we also all own it. But Ramona has a double super great copy. Um, the next game yeah, is... Yeah, actually, I, I own it on Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, as a matter of fact. Oh, hell yeah. Um, next up, Aliens vs. Predator. Please don't pick that, I guess. I don't know. Is that the Capcom beat-em-up? I think so. It's, yeah, like... Capcom beat-em-ups okay, are... Wait, I forgot Captain Commando. Captain I mean, Commando's it's... the worst one. Yeah, the, the arcade game's really good, but the SNES version is the SNES version. If we play that game, I will tell you about the time I was in Ireland with a bunch of Brazilian people who played Alien vs. Predator with me. All right, last game. Super Shogi, which is like chess, but not. That's it. I'm guessing that's going to lose. Super Shogi, we have to play that. Everyone vote for that. Vote for that. Vote for that. Modal once said, I can tell. I'm in I'm in the wrestling camp. I'm on camp wrestling. I love tiles. Shogi is good. It's in Love uh, Tiles. <laughs> it's in Clubhouse games. I played a lot of it there. It's pretty it's a good game. Look, look I like Shogi. I just it's like they're basically Shogi is the wrestling of the mind. I love tiles. <laughs> Fuck. All right. So imagine a big pile of tiles on a board. Beautiful. And then you lay them out one by one could, in their proper order, just clacking tile after tile, tile after tile, piece tile after. This is a large <laughs> piece of metal, so it can't sound right. <laughs> could, could we at least play the Nintendo 64 Shogi game that had online multiplayer somehow, which I'm no. sure is still... Absolutely not. What is the Nintendo 64? It's 1996, and I don't understand. All right. How did, if it's 1996, how did we play this game from 1999? Don't ask too many questions. All right. <laughs> That's it. That's the end of this this podcast. <laughs> So, until next time, it's not Might and Magic 3 on the Super Nintendo. It's not Etrian Odyssey. I've already done this gimmick, but I'm going to do it again. In case of Sonic Attack on your district, follow these rules. <laughs> it's not Bard's Tale. Do not waste time blocking your ears. 
God, I'm very happy it's not a Bard's Tale. It's not, um, Lands of... Lands of what? Lands of Lore. There we go. Not waste time seeking a soundproof shelter. <laughs> it's not Stonekeep. Try to get as far away from the sonic source as possible. Uh, it's not... Uh, fuck. Um, it's not Dark Souls. Yeah, that'll do. Do not panic. <laughs> and it's... Do not panic! It's not Orcs and Elves. Use your wheels, it is what they are for. It's not Shin Megami Tense. Small babies may be placed inside the special cocoons and should be left, as if possible, in shelters. <laughs> not wizardry online. Do not attempt to use your own limbs. If no wheels are available, metal, not organic limbs, should be employed whenever possible. Oh, fuck. I forgot about wizardry online. That game sucked. <laughs> yeah, it did. But it had permadeath. It's not Etrian Odyssey? Remember, in the case of Sonic Attack, survival means every man for himself. Himself! <laughs> it's not Seventh Dragon! Statistically, more people survive if they think only of themselves. It's only not Only themselves! What, Tulpa? It's not Kingsfield. Do not panic! <laughs> and as always... It's not Chuck Rock. As always, thank you to Schnabubula for letting us use his incredible song, Playing Super Mario World While Taking Mushrooms, for our theme song. Also, thanks to Bachelor for the amazing cover art that we have. Check him out at Bachelorsoft on Twitter. And thanks to you for listening. Do not panic! Not Chuck Rock. Yeah. Think only of yourself. Chuck Rock. More like Cuck Rock. Only oh yourself. <laughs> I'm horrified, but also shocked that's the first time I've that's ever come up on the podcast to my knowledge. Yeah, we've never come up with that joke. We really needed the Ramona flavor to uh We you got us there. I'm done. <laughs> Episode 34, It's Not Cuck Rock. The I... best thing about my MP3 player was that uh, it had uh, a bug in it, uh, uh, like an engineering bug, where the hard drive platters would lock up, and the only way to fix it was to hit it really hard over and over until the hard drive unlocked. That's beautiful. <laughs> I I had this one uh, little MP3 player that was uh, just this gorgeous thing with a like a, an actual physical wheel that you would turn around. Like it, it was kind of shaped after the uh, iPod Touch, I guess. I don't know the one with the wheel, uh, but it had a physical wheel you would spin. It was beautiful. I broke the thing. I bricked it trying to install Doom, <laughs> which is the most Clint thing I could think of. 
there was actually a the first iPod model with a wheel had a physical wheel you turned around. So it was like it was like that except smaller. It was smaller than the iPods at the time. Yeah. And I, I broke really... it trying to install Doom. <laughs> The name Hawkwind, after which uh, this character, I don't remember his name, I've been rambling for too long, but anyway, this wizardry writer, come Ultima writer, come whatever the fuck writer, named his characters. Can you stop saying come after we come? Come. Organ accumulators. Come accumulator of organic. Come accumulator of organ energies named. His character is allegedly named after Nick Turner, longtime saxophone player for the band. Eventually got kicked out uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. It seems kind of strange when one of your most notable features is long, rambling saxophone solos to kick out your saxophone player. But who knows? <laughs> Bands, you know? Um, he got kicked out. He went on to do all sorts of shit. Uh, he briefly collaborated with some of the members of Pressurehead. They had two albums. Why did I like Pressurehead? It doesn't matter. They don't matter. Pressurehead. I guess explaining the unexplained wasn't that bad. Nick Turner. 